Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he has ascended to your right hand. And thank you for all the people we've been praying for already in this Thy Kingdom Come season. Please have mercy on them and have mercy on us as we hear you speaking now. In Jesus' name, amen. What would you write in a TripAdvisor review of Holy Trinity? Don't tell me, okay? Don't tell me. Just think about it. What would you write? That is absolutely the way we interact with everything right now, isn't it? Uh, I've recently discovered two-star reviews of avocados. Somehow an avocado can be a better or worse avocado just on the basis of like a little thumbnail on a website. So I think these particular avocados are quite nice. Uh, But other users on the shop, you definitely hear about it if one of them had a little bruise on it or if it was a bit hard or whatever. To exist online is to be overwhelmed by a sea of judgments. The unquestioned assumption constantly made by everyone where they're like, right, I'm going to post now, and particularly encouraged by all the data farming Googles and Amazons, is that we are obviously in a position to make one and everyone needs to hear our opinion about whatever it is. And Google like, yep, thanks very much. We'll just use that in an algorithm and chat GPT or whatever. The customer in our age, and it's not even the customer anymore, it's the consumer, isn't it? The consumer is always right. Thing is, this has had a big effect on church life. I'd be really encouraged by nice things people have said about me and by me. Thank you. But I follow Josh. That exists in Bungie. So does I follow Bruno. I follow Father Mike. I follow New Wine. I follow Tim Keller, although you can't anymore. He's gone to glory. I don't know if you heard that. Really moving, hearing his last words. This famous American preacher, he's, he's died recently. I follow Mike Pilavacci. I follow Nicky Gumbel. Maybe you don't have any idea who those people are. They're sort of big Christian names. Not, not the Josh one, thank God. <laughs> uh, consumer culture is the norm when we talk about church and church leaders. We need to start there. So we realise that Corinth is us today. This is rounding off our first bit. We're going to take a break from Corinthians as we do some festivals next week, Pentecost and Trinity. We're looking at this letter as a way of seeing with Jesus' eyes. And Paul, as he rounds off this first quarter, has the antidote to Christian consumer culture. Verse 1. The headline issue, the reason we have this problem, is because we all hear about Jesus through humans. And Paul hones in on how we see the human leaders through whom we meet Jesus. He knows that's the danger zone. It's the danger zone for me too, the people that I'm influenced by. We're being invited now, as Holy Trinity, as Spungy Benefice, to form a radically different culture to our age of snap judgments and endless conflicting opinions. Verse 1 to 2. So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who've been put put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. This is a pretty deep angle on the online fanboy culture. 
or cancel culture. It's usually like both are like two sides of the same coin. Because Paul doesn't say he has no authority in the whole thing. You can't just be a Christian on your own. Me and God in the Bible if I'm feeling holy. Jesus puts people in charge of explaining things to us. We can't work everything out on our own. We shouldn't try. There is individual responsibility. We know Jesus personally. But our consumer culture massively overemphasizes this. So there's our first challenge right in the headline of this section. People have been put in charge of explaining mysteries. And in the Bible, that doesn't mean, ooh, uh, you know, a cult, whatever. It just means something God wants us to know that we have to be told. And we can't work out on our own. So that's the first challenge, that there are actually people put in charge of this stuff. But now there's some broadsides to the way we think, particularly consumer culture. After the headline, we'll divide up the next bit in two sections. First bit, verse 2 and five, to 5. True ministers only care about Jesus' judgment. True ministers only care about Jesus' judgment. It's back to verse 1. So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who've been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now, a person who's put in charge as a manager must be faithful. A good minister doesn't have to be a good preacher or good at admin or good with kids or full of energy or have a good taste in worship music or have whatever your favourite church leader trait is. Because all the good stuff is God's, not, not theirs. Ministers stand in the tradition begun by Jesus, exemplified by apostles like Paul and Apollos, and then carried forward by duly ordained ministers like me. God's mysteries, things we can't work out on our own, words and sacrament, are all I've got. You can expect me to do that. First and foremost, clinging to God in prayer. Verse 2 literally says, the next thing to look for is that ministers be found faithful. That word found is key. It's not just judged to be faithful by the church and the world. It's found faithful. We'll see who is the one who finds a minister faithful. Verse 3, let's go on. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. Now, this isn't devil-may-care recklessness on Paul's part. Church ministers must not be six feet above contradiction or be like shock jocks who are just always caught in controversy. That's something that sometimes people are tempted to do. Provoking reactions from the world is actually still being ruled by the world. You're wanting them to judge that you're an idiot. You're courting their view rather than it being irrelevant. But the reason not to do that 
is not because church is a democracy and everyone gets a say in the message. The reason is because all of us, particularly me, will face the judgment day of Christ. There's a bit we didn't read from the letter before that I'm going to read now, last week. Chapter 3, verse 13, just over the page probably, I actually don't know. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. Just back in passage we're particularly looking at, verse 3. When it says human authority there, it literally says a human day. Paul's comparing the court of public opinion with the court of the living God. The day of human judgment with the day of God's judgment. And he says there is no comparison. So there are some examples I'd like to give of ministers who have done this to get a sense of how serious this is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was killed in Germany for resisting the Nazis after being put in prison. There were all kinds of Christian people saying, this is stupid, you mustn't do this. You're supposed to respect the authorities. He said, I can't respect an authority that is working for the devil. I can't do this. He died for it. Maybe we're okay with that example. I am pretty sure we're not going to be okay with this one, just to warn you. There's a pastor in America called John MacArthur who refused to obey any lockdown restrictions for the whole duration of the pandemic. I'm not saying he made a right call. I'm saying that even if it was the wrong call, if it was done in fear of the judgment day of Jesus, then it's not our judgment, it's not our job to pass judgment on that decision. So many assessments of church leaders are on flimsy worldly criteria that have nothing to do with the judgment day of Jesus. Now, praise God, this is not the way the vast majority of my experiences in this job have been at all. You, this church family, have shown a humility and willingness to be taught that I've actually not come across in any other church. And I thank God for you. But I can't rely on that. And that response can't be the thing that I'm living for. It must not be, for all our sakes, on the day of judgment. True church ministers only care about Jesus' judgment. And next bit, verse 6 to verse 16. Maturity comes by imitating fools for Christ. Maturity comes by imitating fools for Christ. Paul immediately goes on to demonstrate how to be as a minister in view of this. And that includes teaching them to repent of this consumer culture tribalism. He's free from worrying about what they think of him. So he helps them get back to a teachable heart and humility towards other Christians. There are two ways he does this. Scripture and suffering. Scripture and suffering. Uh, So verse six. 
If you pay attention to what I've quoted from the scriptures, you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of another. But the whole point of referring to the Bible is actually a way of recalling everything we've been listening to the last few weeks. If you've been joining us or have been listening online, I haven't put it up yet, I will. Christ crucified as preached from the Bible looks foolish and weak. If we really listen to the Bible, we're not going to be able to be consumer culture Christians. Because no one outside church will care what we think. And our opinions will impress no one. The mysteries revealed through preachers of the Bible tell us these mysteries can't be weaponized against anyone to give us status. If we've understood the Bible rightly, we'll never be able to boast about understanding it because the Bible says boasting is foolish human wisdom. When we start boasting, we realise we haven't actually understood it, so the whole thing defeats itself. We can never work out this stuff on our own. Everything that's good about how we think or how we live, we receive from God. So you can't be holier than thou with anyone. Scripture is the way we get that right attitude to Christian ministers. But now there's a really deep point, and this is what we'll close with. When we start in our hearts trip-advisoring churches or leaving them because we're not getting fed or the worship wasn't great, we're rejecting the suffering that Jesus commands his ministers to undergo. If we look at a church leader who's daily wrestling with the scorn of the world, who's voicing unpopular views because the Bible says them, who's making decisions about money and politics and charities and how they spend their time, that invite at best confusion and at worst ridicule, if we see someone like that and dismiss them on those grounds, we're not rejecting them, we're rejecting Jesus. Because Jesus makes faithful ministers like that. He deliberately makes sure his human agents are nothing to write home about. Fully idiosyncrasies, a bit weird, full of weaknesses, bit of a joke really to the world. It's why I most love our bishops and archbishops when people laugh at them or criticise them for sticking up for someone everyone else thinks is rubbish. The time to worry about bishops is not when the papers slag them off, it's when the papers start saying they're great. Again, just prepare yourself. You might not agree with this, but I think it's right. Remember how everyone loved Bishop Michael Curry's sermon at Harry and Meghan's wedding? But we need to be more worried about that than people having a go at the Romanian Orthodox Church saying no to vaccines. Yep, even that. And it's not because one is right or the other is wrong. I don't know. The point is, Jesus deliberately makes his faithful ministers at odds with the outside world. And in view of that, when something isn't the way we'd like here, the tone can't be, Josh, why haven't you done this? I might have to go elsewhere if I don't see this changing. I'm commanded, lovingly, graciously, to ignore that if you come at me in that way. And people don't hear, which is marvellous. People have in other places.
But notice that warning is not just for you, it's for me as well. Because if I'm lording it over you, six feet above contradiction, I'm obviously not using the authority Jesus has given me as an under-shepherd of him, standing in the tradition of the apostles and prophets, the way he's commanded me to. If I act in that stupid way, if I do need to be challenged, the motivation is not to get our way or to make Holy Trinity more like our favourite church's way of doing things. If I'm seduced by that dead end, the motivation is to warn me about the true day of judgment. And perhaps on the other side, to encourage me that if people come after me for preaching what Jesus actually says about gay marriage or climate change or any other controversial thing, that doesn't mean Jesus hates me. If people come with a TripAdvisor opinion or a Guardian or a Daily Mail article, say, what about this? For your sake, I must not be swayed by that. But if you come to me reminding me of the one to whom I must give an account, then you can expect me to respond humbly and meekly. Remembering I need to lead the way as we all imitate Paul and Apollos. The world's garbage. Everybody's trash. This is Jesus' crazy cross. These are Jesus' unlikely ministers. But this is the future. This is the gospel, the good news. Let's pray.